0: Father in heaven, thank you um, again for the beautiful weather. Thank you for this community. Thank you for this building. Thank you for the way that you love us so deeply. Um, Jesus, we thank you that you came and died on the cross for our sins, that you poured your life out for us um, so that we might live and have hope. Holy Spirit, we ask that tonight... um, your Spirit be the only Spirit that we listen to. Um, that you would give us courage to believe what's true, to push aside what is false. Um, the Holy Spirit, give us a sensitivity to one another, to listen, um, and to not hold against each other the way things are said or um, our awkwardness, but that you would give us the power um, to see you speaking through one another um, to us. And so I ask for that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Um, we are in a series on Titus. So if you have a black Bible, um, you can, or one's near you, you can grab it. I, uh, if you don't, uh, you can use your phone. Um, phones have Bibles, uh, and they're actually easier to find things on. Um, but I think this is on 1250 something. Titus is. Titus comes after 2 Timothy. Uh, It is on page 1251 on the Black Bible. So we are in the series on Titus. We're going to do Titus chapter 2 tonight. Rod will do Titus chapter 3 tomorrow and we'll be finished. Um, But let me give you a quick background for Titus. Paul, the apostle, wrote uh, the letter to Titus. And the whole goal of this letter is to help Titus establish churches um, in Crete. Now, Crete is an island in the Mediterranean, And Crete is sort of, it's sort of a pirate island in the sense that the people of the island are um, not really the most savory of people. Here's what Paul says about them in chapter one when quoting Epimedes, a famous philosopher who uh, talked about them. And he said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. So Here is Titus going into that environment where Paul is willing to say, Hey, their own philosopher, their own prophet, as he calls him, says they're all liars and gluttons and and brutes. Okay. So where these churches are being planted, where Titus is being sent isn't like, you know, going to Disneyland. Okay. This is not the Disneyland of church planting jobs. Titus has a little bit rougher job. And so Titus is a very short letter. Basically, this is how you establish leaders in the community. This is what you do. And so tonight, we are going to look at chapter 2. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read all of chapter 2 to you. And to give you a little bit of context, what Paul is about to say is in contrast to this idea that there are people in the Cretan church that are kind of creating a level of anxiety in households by what they're teaching. And then as you look at their lives and as you look at the impact that they're having on people, they're not people who are soft to the gospel at any way. So they're, they're, they're kind of corrupted. They're, they're not willing to be transformed by Jesus. And so Paul is now going to say, okay, this is what those people are teaching. Now here's what I want you to talk about. And so we'll read chapter two all the way through. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. And everything, set them set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Alright, boys, I guarantee you, you two talking is going to be difficult for me on my side of the. So, you two talking is going to be a problem. So, if you need to sit next to one of a parent, okay? Got it? Alright, awesome. Um, so, last week, I told you a story, and that story was about these useless bunnies that I have. I have two lion head bunnies, um, and when we got bunnies, because my wife really, really wanted them, um, I believed that these bunnies were going to be fun. I thought these bunnies were going to be, uh, going to hop around the house, that no one was going to be allergic to them, um, that they were going to be like dogs and pets, because see, I had this floppy-eared bunny that used to, well, I didn't have it, but I had it in my mind, this floppy-eared bunny that was, yeah, I didn't have that one, but anyway, At this car wash, there was this bunny. And I had this bunny in my head because he would hop around the car wash all the time. And when the customers would come, the bunny would hop next to them. And apparently he would even try to get on their lap and jump in their bags. And I thought, this is the kind of bunny we're getting. No, what we got was hamsters that have lots of hair, right? But what was really interesting about these hamsters is that when little girls and little boys get a hold of these lion head bunnies, and they sit them on their laps, and they pet them, those bunnies will sit there very quietly, and the little kids will sit there very quietly, and they all of a sudden have this very precious treasure. And I talked to you about how Paul really believes that if we're going to be people who offer goodness into the world, we have to do that by holding what Jesus has offered us through his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection the offer, the gospel, if we hold that precious, then it becomes very easy for us to respond in goodness. And that is always Paul's philosophy about things. And so, um, I don't know where we are. Oh, there we are, Titus. So, in this passage that I read, before we get to the whole big context that you heard, rather, that we were talking about, Older men need to do this and older women need to do that and younger women need to do this and younger men need to do this and slaves need to do that and Titus you need to do this. It seems like he said you need to preach sound doctrine and then he's telling everybody how they need to function in community and he has all these things that he wants them to do. Before we get to any of that there's a key word in the passage in verse 11 and it says four. Okay. And it's after all these long list of things that he says. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to say no. Okay. So, Jesus appears and offers us salvation. Now, salvation means that you and I have something wrong with us that needs saving. Right? And so Jesus appearing to us and offering us salvation, when you and I decide to embrace it, a teaching process happens. It teaches us to say no. And what does it teach us to say no to? To ungodliness and worldly passions. Okay. Now, when I first introduced Titus, I said that the first verse really indicates Paul's whole understanding of who he is. And so in verse one of Titus chapter one, it says, Paul, a servant of God, just that little section and servant should be translated slave. I don't know why the NIV, he wants to kind of calm down that idea of slavery, but so the translators won't put slave there, but literally what he's saying is I'm a slave of God. And the reason that is, is because his story for him, the way that God rescued him is very dramatic, and it really fits in slavery because the way Paul seems to understand himself, if you read Acts, you read his letters, is that he was enslaved to this passion to preserve his faith, his Jewish faith, so much so that he was willing to pursue the people of the way, followers of Jesus, put them in jail, orphan their children, and pass judgment on them and have them killed. And so he gets to the point where he's so driven by these passions that he's on the road to Damascus, going to get some more Christians, going to harass some more people, when Jesus shows up in a big old light, and he says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. And in that moment, Paul moves from being enslaved to his own passions to being enslaved to Jesus. Like he completely does a 180 and goes the other direction. So when Paul understands salvation then, appearing to him, what he sees is Jesus saying, no, you can't do this anymore. Your worldly passions are attacking me. Okay. Now the other thing that Paul in his writings understands about worldly passions and the way he kind of sets things up is that worldly passions and ungodliness are kind of like an animal Like, animals are given to their impulses, right? And so the things that are in us that are just impulsive, Jesus in his salvation says, no, don't do that. But the reason that the salvation of Jesus says that is that when you and I embrace Jesus, what we're getting a hold of, what we get an opportunity to to embrace, then he says here, is to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And so what salvation then brings into our life is self-control. That what Jesus offers is an opportunity to be human. So if you're not following Jesus, that's okay. I'm glad to have you here. But here's the thing. If you look in the mirror and you're really honest with yourself, what you realize is that your life is out of control. You realize that there are so many areas of your life that you just don't know what to do with. And you don't know how to say no to them. And you're in some ways just scrambling for anything, anyone, any way to bring order to your life. And so with Jesus appearing, he allows you to, he gives you the power to say no to being out of control and begin to say yes to being in control. Okay, so now he gives us this opportunity. I don't know what my, okay, Just preview. All right, so as I was working on this message, and just to illustrate the point a little further, and here's what I want you to hold on to, is I think God wanted me to tell you this because I saw this twice. I was in two different restaurants, and there was this poor husband, poor dad, who has this one-year-old. And he's trying to get the one-year-old to sit down and eat. And every time he tries to intervene, this child goes ballistic. And then when the brother, who seems to be very obedient, tries to intervene, you see this little anger come over the child's face and begin to try to heat, hit the brother. Right? There's this, this viciousness. Well, I thought, oh, that's interesting. So then I this morning I was at a restaurant kind of brushing up on my sermon, and there was another dad and a brother and a one-year-old girl screaming ballistically as they tried to arrange things and get her to do what they wanted her to do. Well, here's this. This is this person. That, those little girls, that's who we are in ungodliness and worldly passions. It is this person that God has saved us from. Right? This is who we are. You know this. That when you don't get your way and you're not self-controlled and there's no discipline and no salvation, that's who you are. That's the inner baby that comes out of you. Right? Now, now salvation then says you can be self-controlled. Oh, there I am. I don't usually use slides because they get me confused. So, anyway, I thought I'd try it out. But... So Paul says that this all has to happen in the present age. Like, this is what we're in a part of, of, of saying yes to living self-controlled. And here's the idea that he keeps trying to then paint for us. You see, if you can imagine Crete. <laughs> That's awesome. Perfectly tied. New little babies. I love them. Um, Crete, thank you. Crete is is this place of liars and, and cheats, and it's just kind of a crazy place. You can imagine it as dark and thorny. And what Paul is trying to get at with the churches is to say, here, if you guys live self-controlled lives, if you embrace Jesus, then you will become roses in the midst of a desolate place, and people will say, how do we become that beautiful person? How do we become the rose out in the field in the present days? How do we become like you. Because being out of control and being this person is not very fun. Those little girls are not having fun. This isn't a fun place to be because they feel out of control, right? And so you see this as Paul goes down through this whole passage. He says, I want you to do these things so nobody can hold anything against you. I want you to do these things so that nobody can malign you or say bad things about you. I want you to Be these people so that you can entice people into the kingdom of God, into knowing who Jesus is. Now, the reason I have my face up here, a picture of me, is I want to talk about me. I'm up front, I get to talk about me. Um, Because in here, Titus is, Paul has some words for Titus. And Titus is supposed to teach people. And my main place in all this is to teach you. So I want to actually ask a favor from you. I want to ask you to pray for me. And I want you to ask me to pray for me out of Titus because I think I need you to do that. And so the first thing that Paul instructs Titus to do is to teach according to sound doctrine. And doctrine is precepts, principles, instructions. So he wants Titus to teach out of things that go along with who Jesus is. But then if you jump to verse 7, what he asked Titus to do, it says, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Now my mom said two things about being a pastor. She said, number one, until you turn 40, no one will listen to you. which I have learned. You guys have listened in the last three years a whole bunch more than you did the previous 11. Um, She can figure out when I turn 40. Um, but the second thing that she said was that you can never ask anyone to do anything that you're not willing to do and you haven't done yourself, right? I can't stay, stand up here and say, do this, this, and this, or respond to God this way, but I'm not going to do that, right? You're not going to follow. You don't. It's not, I can't do that. And so that's what Paul is saying to Titus. And I think that what I would love for you to pray into my life is that as I teach, and as I instruct and as I engage you guys in community, that I would be willing to stay on the journey, to not not to back away from the things that are scary for me and frightening for me, and things that I need to deal with. That I don't make it all about you, and the things that you need to deal with, and things ways you need to walk with Jesus. Second thing, or third thing, he says: in your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Like how he throws himself into that. But I would love you to pray that into my life. I'm asking you a favor, and that favor is please pray this into my life. That my teaching, not just up here, you know, teaching, but as I engage with all of you, that it would be serious. That that I would be sound of speech. That I would take hold of what I have to say with with um, with with gravitas, with a sense of importance, like that it's not just something that I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like that I hold it in seriousness. So I'd ask you to pray that into my life. And the last thing I would ask you to pray into my life is what Titus says, or what Paul says to Titus at the end of this chapter, which is, please then, oh, not please, uh, these then are the things you should teach, referring to everything else. And he says, encourage and rebuke with all authority, and do not let anyone despise you. I would love it if you would pray that I would be someone who has the ability to offer you courage, and that I would be a person who doesn't shy away from saying the hard things to you, that I would be willing to offend you in order to see you grow in Christ, that I would have that courage in my life, and that I love how he tells Titus, who's a younger man probably, don't let people despise you, which is really interesting. Like To actually tell people, no, you need to listen to what I have to say. So I think what I would ask out of all that for you to pray for me is simply that I would feel like I would hold on to the fact that I have something really good to offer and that you need to hear it. That I would believe that and that I would live in that and that I would listen to Jesus. So those are the things I would like to invite you to pray for me. Now, the rest of the things listed out in this passage are for older men, older women, younger men, younger women, right? So we could go through this and I could say, okay, older men, let's get let's get into shape. Let's do what you need to do. But here's an interesting thing. All of you who are men are older men. All of you. Because there's somebody younger than you, right? If you are 19 years old, you were an older man to a six-year-old because they believe getting to 19 is going to take a really long time. And if you are 16, you think that you will die before you turn 30. So if you're a 30-year-old person, you are an older man to a 16-year-old, right? Same with women, right? These rules apply. So all of you are younger, and all of you are older, right? It works just fine that way. Now, there's a little issue here that talks about slavery, right? And Paul, so let me just quickly... Push aside everything we're saying, and I'll chat about slavery for just one really quick second. First century, well, when Paul's writing 60 AD or so, slavery is not the kind of slavery that you and I are thinking about, okay? Slavery is not slavery of African Americans, it's not slave ships. Yes, is slavery brutal, where people ripped out of their homes? Yes, but you need to understand that to be a slave in 60 AD in the Roman Empire was better than being a freedman. Because there were only three classes. There are a class of those in power, the slaves and those people who were freemen. and freemen never had a guarantee to give a job, never their life was miserable. They were part of the kind of the, just the, the dregs of society. So to be a slave, you had a lot of privileges. So to think that Paul never addresses slavery, that he was for it, you can't read the Bible, you can't read what Paul has to say in the Bible and believe that Paul is for slavery. Go read Philemon. Paul says that when he's sending Philemon back to his master, he says, You guys are brothers. Like there's an equality here. So that's so, but to, to over, for Jesus to overturn slavery, for Paul to overturn slavery, all that would happen is mass murder. Okay, it wouldn't be good. It was so ingrained in society. And so Christianity was subverting slavery. So much so that at one point later on, you know, these people were, when rich men would die or families would die, they would free all their slaves, and the slaves didn't want to be free because society wasn't built for them to all be free. And so they had to keep that establishment of slavery still there. So, anyway, Christianity is a very subversive thing. It's not a direct thing, it, it undermines things because the cross equalizes us. So, for Paul to be to accuse Paul of being for slavery, you can't do that. But what he does say here is that when you're employed by somebody, you need to honor them, right? So here's the basic idea that goes for older women, older men, younger men, younger women, and those of you who have employers. We're going to go that way. Um, and it's pretty simple. If you look at every single one of these things, the thing is, is that it is self-control, Everything that Paul talks about for each person is that they need to be self-controlled. Right? And so what I thought about, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to talk about what it looks like to be self-controlled, and then we'll chat a little bit if we have time to do it. Because really what Titus is saying is for a church to respond to the gospel of Jesus, what he's done for us, the evidence of it is is that there's a community that models self-control. They're not given to their passions, their ungodly passions. So the first idea I put up here, if you want to learn to be self-controlled, you have to meditate. Now, before you get freaked out, and I'm not talking about the meditation where you open your mind and whatever comes into it, well, that's a good thing. right? I'm talking about a meditation that actually kind of goes along with this martial art called Aikido. Now, when I was in the eighth grade, a guy down the street, a friend of mine, was a black belt in Aikido. And so I would go down and practice with him. Now here's what it means. It means the, the combining of forces. And so as, a, as a, an, a person, when you are being attacked, the way that you defend yourself is to combine your force with their force to redirect your opponent. So it's a combination of forces. So this is kind of how I think meditation works. And that is so that you and I have to live a life that is willing to, 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 I'm going to use this word, but to expose ourselves to the gospel on a consistent basis. But, but the way that we do that is kind of in the way of this martial art. It's not that you and I grabbed our Bible and every single day we read it and we write a few things down and we pray and oh, I've meditated. No, meditation is a willingness to constantly bring your force against God and allow him to redirect you. To do that, you kind of have to be open to whatever's happening. So meditation actually looks like this. You come on a Sunday night, and instead of holding your hand out like this, which most martial arts are like, karate, taekwondo, are resistance arts, you absorb stuff and then you push it back in. You know, if you ever spar with people who do karate, you get bruised a lot. You don't with aikido because of it the way you use the art. Okay, so when you come in on a Sunday night, instead of holding your hand out like this, being resistant, you're saying, no, I'm willing actually to push in to whatever's happening here. I'm going to listen to what God is doing. I'm going to bring everything about me to bear here. I'm going to, listen, I'm going to listen to people. I'm going to listen to what God is saying. And I'm going to allow God to redirect me. I'm going to come in on a Sunday night. I'm going to come into Pilgrim Group and Bible Studies. I'm going to come in to monastic communities. When I talk to people who know Jesus... I'm going to allow God to redirect me as I engage Him all the time. Meditation is not something where you sit quietly and listen to fun music and a waterfall and think, oh, I love Jesus. Meditation is willing to have your guard down to be redirected by God 24 7. To bring your force of who you are into things and say, okay, God, I'm ready to be rejected, or redirected, not rejected, um, and hold instead of kind of being resistant to everything. Like, prove it to me, God. Prove this, prove that. But allow myself to be shaped and re-channeled and redirected. So that's the first, that's kind of the key to beginning to learn to be self-controlled and to bring um, a command over things. Now, the second idea about self-control that I think is important is your body. Now you notice if you go through this list, he tells older women and older men, he tells older men to be temperate and, and, uh, older women to not be given to drinking a lot. But what he's basically saying is, look, you gotta take care of yourself. You can't just be a slush all the time. You can't, you know, you can't just be like, hey, it's, you know, Jack Daniels in the morning and in the evening. That's great. Now, he, what he's saying is that he's indicating that our bodies are super important. Well, scientists know this. You know what? If you and I, don't take care of our bodies. If we don't eat right, now I'm not saying become obsessed with eating in the sense of what you eat and what you don't eat is a good, but actually eating in a way of celebrating. So when you celebrate, just eat sugar and celebrate. And normally on a regular time, don't eat sugar. Eat good food, you know. Understand your diet and how it impacts you, right? Get some sleep. Sleeping is super important to self-control. If you don't sleep, you won't be self-controlled. And most of us need at least six to seven hours of sleep. So get some sleep. That's part of being self-controlled. And then exercise, right? Now, I'm like, does it say exercise in, in our scripture today? No. Did it say that you should get some sleep? No. Did it say anything about eating? No. But it's pretty intuitive, right? If you don't eat right, and you don't get any sleep, and you don't exercise, you're not going to be very self-controlled, okay? We don't need to exegete scripture really well to figure that one out. So, meditating, but also take care of your body. Now, waiting. Um, Paul says in there that as we are saying no to one thing and yes to another... That's a waiting period because we're waiting for the blessed hope to come. We're waiting for Jesus to come. So being a Christian is all about waiting. And so I don't know how many movies I've seen. This is one from Lord of the Rings, but there are so many fantasy movies and there's always a scene where some people are hiding under a bluff and there's a monster over them and you can hear the breath of the monster and we're all scared that they're going to get caught. But no, they're not because they're all the main characters. So don't freak out. Right, But this is a part of our life, right? Because what happens is that you and I get these chemical washes in our bodies and we think, I just need to be ungodly. I just need to do what the world says. I just need to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And you know what? It's part of your broken and fallen body and you get chemical washes over your brain. Part of learning to be self-controlled is realizing it will pass. The monster doesn't actually have a good nose and the script writer is moving him on. All right, It's going to pass. You will not feel like you need to do this forever. These feelings, these desires, like I have to do this, it will pass. It's going to pass. Part of practicing self-control is realizing that waiting for God to eventually come, for our bodies to kind of move in the direction they need to go, it's going to happen. They just need to wait. Things will change. And the last one, I know this man, I wrote really small, so I'll say it to you, is to forgive. Now, forgiveness, it's, it's interesting to me that there are so many psychological studies on forgiveness and the length of life. And they have what, what scientists have figured out is that people who are willing to remove judgment and the need for revenge... So when someone wrongs us or hurts us, and we choose to remove the need for judgment and the need to get revenge, those people who can successfully do that most often live much longer than everybody else, right? Which Jesus knew, right? Because the whole gospel is built around what? Our need to be forgiven. Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, So he transforms the way the body of Christ looks at each other. So when you hurt me, and you do, and when I hurt you, when I do things that I shouldn't be doing, like when you view me through the cross and the blood of Christ, it's much easier for you to forgive me when you see that the way I hurt you, Jesus felt that. And Jesus died for me for it. And he bore your wounds of it. Like, that everything revolves around Jesus. And so you can forgive me and you can remove the need to judge me or to get revenge because Jesus already took all that. And Jesus loves me. Right? And so, one of the most powerful ways to get control of your ungodly passions and your your, your worldly passions, to get control of the things in you, is to begin to, willing to begin to forgive. To forgive yourself and to forgive other people, right? So, I think, and I would love our community, and there's not not as many people as normal, so please tell people this that, like, I want our community to be a community of self control. I want people to come in here and say, wow, this is a community that's waiting, that's dealing with its eating, sleeping, and exercising that's willing to be transformed by God, that when I talk to you and you talk to me, we're eager to be transformed and redirected by God. We're not people with a posture of resistance. And that we're people who forgive because that's the definition of self-control. So if you... So all of you older women, which is all of you women, right? oh, I just called you all old, all of you have somebody younger with whom you can offer understanding of self-control right? Well, something up here, out of these things, you can say, you know what, I could offer something good here. All you older men, that would be all of us. You have something out of this list. You know how to open yourself up to be transformed. You know how to wait. Maybe because you've just made a mistake of not waiting so many times that now you really know how to wait. But you can teach people that, right? I'll get to your hand in a second, bud. My encouragement is is that you offer that to people. Oops, those are cute people there. Um, what time is it? All right, so I've got a few minutes. Does anybody have any questions? Thoughts? Things they want to add? Yes, son. That's true. There will always be someone who is the oldest and someone who is the youngest. That, that's true. But you can always teach the dog if you're the youngest. So, there's always the dog or the rabbits. Anybody else? Anybody have any thoughts on self control, thoughts on things, questions? Oh, yes, sir, in the back. Let's say you're a passionate person. So, how do you exercise self control without fearing your passions or try to your OK. Nice question, Andrew. Uh, so, well, the question is you're a passionate person. And how do you hold on to the goodness of being passionate um, without, and not muzzling it, and yet not being given in to ungodly passions? Well, I would argue that the first part, you become a passionate meditator. That like you enter every single situation thinking in a very passionate way, what is God going to do and how is he going to transform me? And when he does it, get really excited about it and jump up and down and yell and tell everybody. right. Allow God to like fuel those passions by saying, "Okay, how are you going to pour gas on this?" I don't know. If someone else wants to answer something, Julie, then then Ron and Jeff. Uh, like yes, ma'am. to see to that And so I think back kind of a part of the Yes, as as Martin Luther would say. <laughs> sin bully. I'm gonna go Ron, Jeff and Julie. was called by Barnabas, he spent seven years doing something probably most likely preparing because he was a very passionate person and his passion got him into a world of trouble yeah. <laughs> that it did you well know, you see him before and then you see him transformed years later that's just what time does it's what what waiting does Waiting. So yeah. Yeah. He was very so there's an element of waiting. Yeah. To be transformed in your passion. That's very good, Jeff. So what they tried to teach us all in school, growing up, and work is there's a time and a place. Right. You're in school now. You're supposed to be quiet and sit there. Oh, it's recess. You can run around and do whatever you want. Right. So there's like you know you can have your passion, but you have to. Have I've got to work first to make the money to go out and search it on something else. Yeah. So, learning when there's a time and a place. Yeah. And I've met people who had to put their passions aside because God said, you're focusing too much on your passions and not enough on me. And then later, He said, oh, you go back to that. Yeah. So, So, there's a time and a place, and sometimes God asks us to give up the passion that we have for a time in order to discipline ourselves in following Him. Julie. I think there's also being a big spirit of our passion in terms of like what you were saying about finding more time in medicine yes. so when we're focused on what we're passionate about and why we're passionate, I think it's focusing on maybe not so much sin happen, happens, sin But also focus on our motives and really loving people. Because it's it's all about love, what what motivated Paul, what drove him before right. No. But his passions was redirected because he was redirected now out of his love for Christ. Right. His, his and, and this you know, it's slave like you said earlier to preserving, you know, his faith. I mean, he was really driven by something not his Right. And so, um, I think but I don't think we ever have to dial down our passions, but we have to be treated them what and if, if we can be a good steward and say, you know, today I think I'm not so motivated by good things today. Right. I'm not Right. So understanding what's motivating us and that the gospel and love is the thing that needs to motivate us. And having an understanding of what is, that's, that's really good. I saw Amanda, I think I saw your hand out there hiding. Yeah, it, like, probably the is not to but, Yes. So time and place, understanding when you need to say something and when you need not to say something, holding out. That's really good. Anybody else want to say anything before I close? Thoughts? Thanks, guys. That was really fun. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank um, for your word being spoken to us. We thank you um, that all of us have your spirit and that your wisdom is poured out on all of us and that we can learn from one another. And as we go into singing Jesus and as we go to eat and um, to take communion, that you would, uh, we would ask that you would be with us and that you would bless all that we do in your name. Amen.